Welcome to the Hypnotic Comic Live Show. Finding that entertainment without meaning isn't cutting it anymore? Do you want to feel deeply connected, yet lifted up into the heights of laughter? You found that place where comedy meets the full expansion of life's possibilities. Now, for your hypnotically comical host, Jenna Grayson! Oh my gosh, that's me. Thank you so much, Producer Doug. That was pretty awesome. It's always great to have such a dramatic intro. Believe it or not, Doug talks like that all the time. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Um, so, yeah, I am your host and your hostess guest, hostess's guest. Jenna Grayson, um, my guest today is going to be on uh, the next show. She's actually stuck in the dentist today, so I figured it wouldn't sound that good if she was talking with um, dental things inside of her mouth, sucking the saliva out of her face. Um, So I'm just going to interview myself, damn it. But uh, hopefully it'll be a little fun and funny and informative as well, and that's really my interest with this show is to entertain have some fun and offer some really valuable information that uh, is hard to connect with or find in ordinary places, including the entirety of the internet. So I'm looking to find some new, fun, silly, and really um, profound information. And that's what we're up to here at the Hypnotic Comic Live show. So welcome one and all to the show. I got to plug myself in. Got to plug myself in. I just got a text message that my guest that um, I said we're going to have her on the show next time. She's done at the dentist. I don't know, folks. What should we do? Do we bring her back in? I don't know. I think I'm just going to stick with the program. Um, All right. So this is the Hypnotic Comic Live show. We are now live streaming on iHeartRadio. So official and so super cool. Um, So many ordinary, regular, whatever, very popular um, radio shows are on iHeart now, and we are as well. So that's super awesome. And we're also in over 82 live syndications. That's not including the the podcast on iTunes and um, a few other places as well. Soon we will be up to 130 and continuing to grow uh, live syndications. So I am your host, Anna Grayson, as I said, and um, this month we've been very active in our growth and getting out there doing shows at the House of Blues in Anaheim, as well as the Comedy Store in Hollywood. What, what? And um, tonight I'll be in Huntington, or I'm sorry, Manhattan Beach at a place called Poncho's, and I got uh, a nice little group showing up there. So it's pretty exciting. We're doing some great stand-up comedy and um, expanding into the cosmic comedy that is life itself and, you know, just taking some time to, like, laugh at 
life, our life experiences, my life experiences. And a lot of people ask me about how I got into stand-up and how that all happened. So I thought maybe I would answer that uh, common question today and just chat a little bit about that with you guys and um, see what comes out of that. Um, so there's several different versions to the story while they're all true and real, you know, how life is just, everybody's got their version of the story. Well, I have my own versions within myself. I have like three or four different versions of the story, kind of depending on who I'm talking to, how close I am with the person, how vulnerable I want to be, um, about how I got into stand up. the non vulnerable, let's start non vulnerable, <laughs> That sounds so much safer, doesn't it? Oh gosh, at least to me it does. The non-vulnerable, the non-vulnerable story of how this happened was um, I took a class that a friend of mine had taken, uh, a good friend of mine named Himalaya Bell. She's an incredible um, yoga, dance, public figure, teacher, presenter, traveler, um, both in the inner and outer worlds. And uh, I took the stand-up comedy class in Hollywood with a woman named Leslie Wolf, plug, big plug out to her. Um, and at the end of that class, a series of classes, it was four entire weeks, literally, one class a week. Um, I think I'd say for a couple of hours, probably, like from 7 to 9 p.m., um, we learned how to mostly just how to write out our own stories. So the practice was just to sit for five minutes and pretend you're sitting with a friend and writing down a recent story, telling a recent story that happened, you know, like, Oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe it the other day. This is this crazy thing happened. It's ridiculous. And it doesn't have to be super funny. So this is a good way to like get going with writing. If you want to write your own stand-up comedy routine um, we were encouraged to write three stories down in about five minutes, just really quickly in the spur of the moment, as opposed to like thinking it out and making it a homework assignment. So it's like, just write it down and be like, this is not funny. This is embarrassing or this is not funny. It's just true. Um, without trying to make it become funny. Um, and then telling the story to another person, telling the three stories to another person. And then condensing it and working with the group in the class to um, kind of sharpen it up and, and make it a little punchier and sillier and funnier. And that's really the essence of stand-up comedy right now, which is really pretty awesome. You know, it's like people aren't there up there telling jokes so much as they're telling stories and they're telling personal stories. And that alone is super vulnerable. So I think this whole uh, show today is going to be at least somewhat about vulnerability, which is one of my favorite subjects, really. There's so much to be gained from it. And it's such a, it's such a risk to do it, you know, um, but it's something that I think we're all being invited to do more and more, you know, like with social media and the immediacy of social media and the, you know, transparency that can come, but the transparency that we're really, so many of us are trying to avoid um, by presenting ourselves in these like really cleaned up, polished, like this is what I look like on Instagram versions of ourselves. And with stand-up comedy, it's really this invitation to be like, okay, I'm going to stand up in front of a group of 200 people right now and tell you stories about my life and encourage you to laugh at me. Whew, 
And then there's like the one side of your mind that's like, I really hope they laugh. And then the other side of your mind that's like, oh, dear God, they're laughing at me, you know. And so there's that play between, um, you know, your ego and inspiration that brings you to share comedy and to be a vehicle of laughter about, you know, just the human experience and all of our humanness and the vulnerability of just being human. So I think stand-up comedy is like vulnerability on steroids, on crack cocaine, on what else can we say there? Um, steroids is pretty good. I think steroids are nice. Steroids are nice unless you're injecting them into your arm and they're not so nice. So nevertheless, I did this stand-up comedy class for four weeks. And um, at the end of it, we had the opportunity as part of the class um, to do six minutes at um, the improv in Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard. And that's super vulnerable, right? Like, can you imagine being at the improv and having four weeks of training and being like, and here we go. Um, so that was crazy. And, um, but the good news is that everybody else in the show is in the same boat as you. You're not like doing stand up with Sarah Silverman all of a sudden. It's just like, which would have been awesome, of course. Um, but nevertheless, it was, you know, it's just everybody from your class. And that ended up going really, really well for me. And, um, there was somebody there from the comedy store. So this is the long version of the non-vulnerable story. Um, so then I got booked for the first show um, at the comedy store with other relatively new um, comics without a lot of experience. And, you know, they want you to bring people and be funny. And I think those are the two main ingredients is if you can bring people and get people to laugh um, and show up on time and brush your teeth in your hair and things like that. Uh, then, you know, that's the, the main name of the game um, in terms of, you know, just making this work. So it's been relatively simple in terms of just the logistics of it, you know, like, did I really hustle and have I been doing this for years and doing open mics and, you know, getting out there? That's what a lot of people say. And I know that there's value in that. Um, but for me, I'm... <clears throat> I'm in my 40s now, let's be honest here. And I just don't really have the energy to be going out to multiple um, open mics every night. So instead of doing the hustle, do, 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 I instead, uh, I work with universal laws, so which are much more, <laughs> much more convenient and less... Um, less energy requiring. So universal laws being, you know, things like the law of attraction, laws of surrender and alignment and visioning and trusting and asking for help. And um, quite honestly, that's what I'm doing all the time with comedy. And before I did that first show at the improv, I was terrified. Um, that's the truth. I was so scared and so excited. And I actually really like that sort of realm of existence where it's like where fear meets excitement you know and they kind of get muddied together where you're like I'm so scared I'm so excited I don't know exactly which one's which um but let's just breathe into that and feel the aliveness 
there's so much aliveness in meeting that space. And I spent a lot of time in my 20s exploring that, really facing my own fears and feeling into the excitement of it and doing it anyway. Um, and sort of developing, I think, the muscle of courage, you know, which I think is, you know, really misunderstood a lot of times. I think people think that if you're doing stand-up comedy, you're doing something that would be considered to be courageous, that you don't feel fear. Um, but that's really not true. I mean, I still totally feel fear every time I get up, every time I get up. And the good news is that everybody does. And everyone who I talk to who's doing stand-up, we still feel fear. And that's part of the, um, it's like part of the recipe. It actually can work in your favor to bring out some adrenaline and some cortisol that you can use in creating energy that's entertaining you know it gives you that little like punchiness that makes you sound alive and awake and on fire you know like I'm doing this right now I'm facing my fear I'm on the edge about to do a bungee jump and like life is flushing my body um life being of course adrenaline (laughs) um you know and the breath and and uh Uh, probably some other really good brain chemicals, you know, I'm sure there's like a flood of dopamine and serotonin happening. And people sometimes talk about like after the show in the next couple days or the following couple days, how you can have a serotonin depletion, which I've also noticed, you know, and it's good to be aware of that kind of stuff because, you know, people don't really talk about that, that like you get this burst of um, biochemistry moving through your body to support the the risk taking <clears throat> that you're doing and then you know you can feel a high from that that can feel really wonderful and life-giving and like you're in your purpose and like you're fully living if you don't let the fear overtake you um that is and then you know after after a couple of days there is a depletion that happens so that's just kind of like my public service announcement to say like that will pass and your body will regulate and you got to really take care of yourself and sleep well and eat well and get outside in the sunshine and move your body and things like that and so as to not turn to drugs or depression um which would be really natural and in many ways understandable. Um, But, you know, most people going into something like stand-up comedy aren't doing it in order to become drug addicts. And, you know, I'm no different. So I'm staying away from using um, supplements, using um, drugs, you know, let's just cut to it, in order to um, enhance the experience because I know that can be a dangerous road. So that's definitely not uh, recommended by me or anybody, you know, because it it does over time become self-destructive. And it's better to, I think it's really better, in my opinion, anyway, if you're asking me, well, you are asking me. Since you're asking, uh, my opinion is to, you know, if you want to get into stand-up, is to let it be um, a personal growth journey whatever you want to call that, a spiritual growth journey, a career growth journey, where um, you're growing internally as you're being challenged to do new things all the time and to be vulnerable in front of new crowds and new groups and new environments. It's It can be really terrifying. And, you know, if you're interested in personal growth and development, it can also be extraordinarily growth-inspiring and 
you know, I've had that really reflected that other people feel inspired as well as, you know, a sense of admiration for the courage to do this. And absolutely, it does take courage. Oh, yeah. So the point I'm making about courage is that courage is not acting in the absence of fear. That would be fearlessness. If you're waiting to do stand-up, if you're waiting to do something that scares you, until you're waiting until um, you feel fearless, you don't feel any fear, it, it, that'll never happen. Because you you need to, to move through with your action, the fear, in order for the fear to subside. And there's still that possibility that the fear never totally subsides, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah, Jenna, you're right. Thank you. You're welcome. So courage really is acting in the face of fear, right? And it can sound sort of counterintuitive because we think our fears are there to serve us. But in these modern times, 99% of the time, your fear is never going to come true. Your fear is unprecedented and it's trying to save you from things like that were um, developed in our system to preserve our life, to to preserve our tribe, to preserve um, our survival. You know, it's like survival instincts that aren't relevant when you're doing something like performing, you know, whether it's music or stand-up or acting. Um, Another piece that I want to say in this is that because I'm also a trained and professional hypnotherapist for the last 11 years um, and been working with people using the tools of hypnotherapy for the last 11 years, I've come to realize the power of both the conscious and the subconscious mind to facilitate overcoming fears and moving through fears with greater ease and and to use the mind, the fullness of the mind, um, to support what you want and to focus on what you're wanting as an outcome rather than um, focusing on the fear. And the fear can be really loud, you know. Our fears can be really loud in our minds. Like, listen to me, look over here, this is dangerous, this is dangerous, this is dangerous. In essence, you know, you're never going to hear those words exactly, but you're going to hear things like, oh, dear Lord, what are you doing up there, girl? You, you, you have no business being there. You're not prepared. You're not good enough. You don't have enough experience. Like, you're going to humiliate yourself. Th- those are thoughts that I think before every show that those thoughts come up. Um, but then I also have the tools because of things like hypnotherapy, meditation, conscious breathing that um, help me anyway to orient my mind towards what I want rather than towards what I don't want. So that's all really highly recommended. And if you know if you want to have a conversation with me about that um, or work directly with hypnotherapy, you can contact me directly through my website, and easy, if you're listening to the show, an easy way to remember the website, I would just go to jennagrayson.com because that will be the easiest way to remember. You can also go to innerremedies.com and find my email on either one. So that being said, um, I'd like to go into talking more vulnerable, vulnerably, 
vulnerably. Um, so more vulnerable story, which I've actually talked about at least a couple times on this show, on this radio show, is that a big motivator, something that really gave me a lot of courage, a lot of drive to go after uh, stand-up comedy and, and really take some some uh, action with it and take some risks with it was uh, seeing both of my parents coming to the end of their lives, which, you know, of course is really a sad, really sad, hard thing to witness and watch and really strange in so many ways, even though, you know, we all know that death is inevitable, that none of us are getting out of here alive with these bodies anyway. Um, you know, to to watch it happen so closely. Um, for my mom, she made her transition to the non-physical realm um, pretty quickly. It happened pretty unexpectedly, and I was actually there with her in the room, which was a pretty dramatic and actually a very beautiful experience um, to feel my mom's presence transition from her body to out of her body, and I was very much aware of that, and it was really in the moment, it was, believe it or not, it was, um, it was like this ecstatic experience, because I could feel her blissfulness, I could feel my mom's presence, I'm not quite sure what words to use to make them, you know, accessible, but it's like her presence, her spirit, her consciousness, I could feel it moving from the density of her body that I would say for her whole life, her body was a burden for her, as it is for many of us, you know, um, and moving from the density of her body to being without the burden of her body and just the exquisiteness of her presence, her life. Um, without the burden of her body, it was beautiful, and I can I could feel it. I could feel it directly, and I could feel a sense of relief within myself and my body. So anyway, I like to tell that story because it's pretty fantastic. And then there's also you know so many different facets to that story, including the fact that you know yes, grief came, and grief has been a journey. It's almost six years now. And it's still a journey I'm on. I'm still learning and growing through it and because of it. And one of the gifts that I got from my mom's transition, my mom's death in the physical plane is um, just feeling a lot braver, uh, a lot more willing to take risks and go after things, including comedy, um, that my mom would have been, was to... Um, I would say self-conscious in some ways to really go after. She really did have a comedian in her, you know, and I heard for years people telling her, oh my gosh, you should do, you should be a stand-up comic, comic. you should be a stand-up comedian because she was just funny with people, you know, she's just naturally engaging and charismatic and funny. And then after she died, um, people started to say it to me. I started hearing I don't know if they said it to me. Maybe they said it to me before and I just didn't really hear it. But I really heard it after my mom passed. Um, I really heard, like, you know, you know, like you have that experience where it's like somebody says something and all of a sudden it's like you're just super present. You know, you don't even know why, but like 
all of your awareness is in that moment. Like there's something saying, do you pay attention right now? And so I was feeling that, you know, where it's like people are like, you should do stand-up comedy. And I was like, oh, geez. And I would just like wave my hand at them like I could never. And and I think I would really say that too, like, oh, gee, oh, gee whiz, shucks, oh, gee whiz. I could never do that, you know. And then I was hearing my mom's voice coming out of me, essentially, you know, not her like possessing me so much as like, that's what she would say. So I started to really pay attention to that. You know, I started to really like hear, oh, my God, I'm just repeating some old pattern. And my mom really can't. She cannot. She can no longer do stand up comedy because she doesn't got a body. You know, that does it does get in the way. But I still got this body at this point, and it's healthy, and uh, I, I actually could do it, you know. So I could hear myself being like, oh, I could never, and realizing that that's just my thoughts. It's just my belief, and that's so much of what I worked for as a hypnotherapist and a person who's wanting to be growing and developing myself and challenging myself and taking risks. That's like, that's actually not true. I'm actually lying. Um, to myself and the other person, it just feels true, you know, because I believe it. I, I don't. I don't know. It sounds too scary. I don't know how to put together ideas and plan ahead to be funny in front of a group of strangers and then actually be funny and pull it off and not come off as a, you know, bumbling fool. You know, I could certainly imagine my mind going blank. I could imagine humiliating myself. I could imagine regretting doing it. I could imagine all the negative things that it was hard for me to imagine actually being prepared and pulling it off, you know, and that is until I went through the fear, you know, and that's again, like that's the place of courage where we can really grow in our self-empowerment and our liberation within ourselves is to take on those fears and walk through them. And it doesn't mean just blindly, you know, walk through the forest without any preparation or any, you know, knowledge or training or even, you know, a group of people to support you. And all of those things are super important, right? You know, we're walking through our fears. It's like, are there people going through it with me or are there people who are supporting me saying, this is amazing. You can totally do this. Go for it. You're brave. And somehow, you know, pursuing this, so much of that has come out. Um, and I think, you know, again, it's partly from coming from that place of working with universal forces, asking for my mom's help from the other side, asking for help from my angels and guides and my spiritual teacher to facilitate this and also really surrendering it, not being totally attached to it. Like I have to do this. Otherwise I'm useless and worthless and my, my, my life is meaningless. You know, I think that makes it really hard. Makes we're making ourselves, making things really hard on ourselves when we're like super, you know, attached to an outcome. So these are some of the things that have really worked well for me. Um, there's other, you know, other stories to tell, but I think that that those two stories, the the um, the non the less vulnerable, they're both vulnerable, you know, because performing, especially by yourself on a stage, like you don't have a band backing you up, you don't have backup dancers. I would love to have backup dancers one day. That would be great. 
but so far I don't have any backup dancers and uh, I don't have a band, just a DJ off to the side. Um, it's super vulnerable. And then, you know, and people say, um, or there's that saying that uh, public speaking is people's worst fears, is people's worst fear. Public speaking is people's worst fear. Um, so it's scary, you know, and uh, it's inherently scary. But the good news is that it's only going to kill a part of your ego, the part of your ego that says you can't do that, you have no right to do that. It's not actually going to kill your body. Um, and no, nobody so far has died on the stage from doing stand-up comedy. They, they die off the stage, right, for many different reasons. Um, but, you know, there's this uh, thing that Jerry Seinfeld says that I really, really appreciate. And it's funny, which is great. He says, you know, um, since it's people's greatest fear to do stand-up, no, not to do stand-up comedy, to do public speaking, let's start over. Okay, I'm going to do my Jerry Seinfeld impersonation now to interesting you with it. What is it with people being so afraid of doing stand-up. No, people doing so, being so afraid of public speaking. People are so afraid of public speaking. Fuck it. Skip that. People are so afraid of public speaking that if you're at a funeral, you're better off being the one in the casket than you are being the one doing the eulogy. Which is an interesting concept to consider. Um, I think it's a really interesting concept to consider, you know. And it's like, how how did we all get so influenced by that fear? How, do, how did that become such a big fear that we could actually be more afraid of speaking to a group in public than we would be afraid of our own death, the end of our physical experience or lives? Um, and I recently had a friend explain this to me, and I thought it was so brilliant and poignant and like a relief, you know, it's like the, to understand the reason, like there's a legitimate reason why people are so afraid um, to speak in public. It's my friend Odom. He said that the reason why it's like this evolutionary um, program that we have built into our hard drive. I don't know where my hard drive is. Maybe you know where yours is. Uh, my hard drive is has come equipped with this program that says, whatever you do, girl, do not be outcasted by your village, by your tribe. Because if you put yourself out there, if you put yourself out there and stand in front of your village, in front of your, in front of your tribe, and speak to the people, and they all say, She's full of shit. She's a liar. She's a thief. She's whatever it is that they might say that she's against the group. She's a witch. You know, she's um, pagan. She's sacrilegious. She's a the Antichrist. Those are my fears, by the way. <laughs> you know, that's where we're going. That's where those are coming from. I'm uh, outing myself. Um that if if that happened, that would really greatly threaten our survival. 
you know, so you could imagine like in more primitive times or more primitive places in the world where, you know, if you're going to do public speaking in front of your, your, your tribe, that there would be the potential that you would be outcasted um, and that your survival would be really put at risk. And it, I would say that it really feels like that. So when my friend Odom told me about this, I was like, that is exactly what it feels like. Even though I don't have that conscious fear where I'm like, oh, my God, I hope I'm not cast out of the tribe of Hollywood. Um, I mean, I don't want that either, but I'm not thinking like that. You know, it's not like a conscious thought of like, oh, my God, they're going to they're going to, you know, send me off into nature by myself and then I'm going to die out there without shelter or food to eat. Um, But there's that like that feeling inside that's like um there is a sense of a fear of death you know there is this sense of like i am going to die or somehow i might not survive this experience and you know of course that's to a lot of degrees um to many degrees it's like you know it's an illusion but i it was a relief to get that um there's that universal fear that's connected to an evolutionary impulse to survive, you know? So I think that can really help us all, you know, people who are performers or who are wanting to stretch into that realm to be like, yeah, that's going to come up for you in the same way as a need to go to the bathroom is going to come up for you. And if you don't have a bathroom and you really have to go, you're going to feel afraid, but you know, you're not going to die. Right. So maybe that's like the the reminder I'm wanting to put out there is like, even if you feel like you're afraid you're going to be forever outcasted from society and die, it's actually not going to happen. So we got to kind of talk ourselves through it, imagine ourselves through it, relax our way through it as much as possible and use some of the tools um, that are available in order to overcome fear and as a hypnotherapist, that's one one of my real favorite things to work with people on is overcoming fear, you know, because it's like, it's so prevalent and it limits humanity so much and it creates so much pain and neurosis and family problems and relationship problems and um, self-esteem problems and wars even when we're just doing shit out of this um, fear reaction that's plugged into our nervous system to protect our survival, but it's totally irrelevant in the modern world, but we just wrap our smart heads around it and say, this is necessary. It's necessary that I fight for my survival. And our survival, you know, again, like that nine out of 10 times, 99% of the time, our survival really isn't at stake, but we're going with the the smallest brain part, part of our the smallest part of our brain, the amygdala, just attached to the top of the spinal cord. It's the first part of the brain that uh, is developed in utero, and that's you know in many ways really important for our survival, and it gives us that reptilian brain, the reptilian impulses that ensure our survival. But in modern times, it's just you know pretty irrelevant pretty irrelevant and I think that's you know for us to to really master and overcome and um, I've been in therapy you know off and on for many years and it's something that 
I've learned from therapy too is like this idea that our reactions, like our first response can often be from that smallest part of the brain, that fight or flight mechanism that just fires off and says, you're in danger, fight, you're in danger, run for it, get out of here. Like this person is against you and not for you. Like we have to, this group is against you and not for you. You have to survive. Um, that that's really at this point in um, human evolution, that's pretty um, irrelevant and it can cause a lot of chaos in our lives. You know, you can think about that. It's like a drunk person in a way, you know, it's just like belligerent. They're just going to fear and fighting really quickly and it creates chaos. And so in therapy, I've been learning over the years how to draw that information to the frontal lobe of the brain where um, things are just a lot funnier, (laughs) Um, where we can make um, new responses so it's not happening so fast. So you can sort of notice the reactivity, work with your breath patterns because the fight or flight also, you know, really quickly puts you into these like stupid places like we all want to be smart and at least think we're smart at least for a little while if not all the time but that fight or flight small brain reptilian brain amygdala in the back uh at the at the brain stem it's kind of stupid in a lot of ways even though it's smart at um ensuring our survival it's stupid because it's not good for our relationships it's not good for creating more than survival. And of course, we all want to live in thriving and enjoying and freedom, empowerment, liberation, all these wonderful ideas, you know, that that small part of our brains is not going to allow us to function in that realm. So bringing the information from the reactive amygdala to the prefrontal cortex, taking some deep breaths, very literally, you know, people say, take a deep breath, girl, chill the F out. And um, even better, take a few deep breaths. That helps to move the information to um, a less reactive, it's a little bit slower, so you might not feel as smart or quick to respond. Um, But really, we're looking for a slower response when we're moving away from reactivity and fight or flight. And taking those deep breaths puts us um, in a parasympathetic nervous system response, moving away from the sympathetic nervous response, nervous system response, which would have us like, you know, fight, flight, or fight or flight, fight or flight um, reactions, and then like choosing something more enjoyable like laughing at a situation and having broader perspective with the situation or having a new response that's beneficial for you and the other person or beneficial for you and the situation in a bigger picture kind of way. So taking deep breaths, people, let's just do that right now, shall we? You might feel a sensation, a feeling, a response in your brain. For me, I feel that even with a single breath. I'm saying that from a place of like, I'm feeling that right now. Taking a deep breath, we'll do it again together. Brings you back into the present, you know. And when you're present, you're pleasant, right? When you present, you pleasant. And when you're pleasant, 
you're present. So it's a lot more fun and enjoyable to be non-reactive or at least practicing, you know. Try not to be hard on yourselves. This is a journey we're all on together. And it's a big part of just the human damn experience. It's the damn human experience we're all in together is like how to move from being animals into being higher, more highly evolved beings, even beyond just ordinary human capacity. We have the capacity, the potential as humans to evolve. And we're the only animals that have that ability to evolve in our consciousness. And that's my understanding anyway. Um, That's what my spiritual teacher says. She says that we have this capacity and we should take advantage of the opportunity to evolve from our animal impulses. And that applies to all things, especially related to the body, um, physically, you know, our senses, eating and sex and drugs and um, the Internet, you know, I think social media in some ways is really responding or acting upon the responses of those more sort of reptilian brain places of wanting to get pleasure really quickly. You know, the pleasure centers in our brain that are wanting to have a quick fix and a quick, like, uh, release of dopamine and, like, quick fuck, you know? Can I say that on the radio? Quick fuck? All right, I'm going to trust that it's going to get bleeped if it needs to. Um, it's a relief, you know? It's a quick relief. And uh, and at the same time, we have the capacity to evolve upon uh, evolve from our desires to just, like, feel better really quick. And, uh, you know, that's a big conversation, I think, especially about... Um, younger generations now that their brains are really being hypnotized um, into needing, requiring, wanting really fast, immediate sensory gratification, gratification of the senses and gratification of the brain chemistry. Um, it can be to some degree, you know, it can be dangerous in the addictiveness of it and the short-term perspective of it. And then when you're working with growing things in your life and growing your capacity, growing skills and talents and your inner being, growing your own um, gifts, you know, and what like really would be satisfying to you what would really be fulfilling for you over time, these dreams that we have, the things that are, feel exciting that, oh, I would love to be able to do that, whether it's stand-up comedy or going after another kind of a career uh, path, being a performer, being a teacher or a leader, it requires discomfort. It absolutely requires preparation and practice and not doing it well sometimes and potentially embarrassing yourself, which does not feel good. It doesn't feel like a like on Facebook or Instagram. It does not feel like immediate gratification to practice your art and to go through some feelings of, you know, being faced with the experience of failure. We all 
knows those feelings and we all want to avoid them. And yet at the same time, in order to sustain and create greater levels of fulfillment and sustained happiness or joy, we have to be willing to go through the journey that often includes discomfort. So that's all to say, you know, a couple of things there. One is that, yeah, in my journey with um, doing stand-up comedy, it has required preparation and preparation being like knowing what I'm going to say. You know, people ask me like, do you always know what you're going to say when you're up there? And, um, I'm like, you know, I, I have some level of preparation. I have a sense about what I'm going to get up there and do. I have my bullet points that I'm hitting and, and, um, I know what I'm there to do. And at the same time, um, once you're prepared, or, you know, as you're prepared, that gives you the room to play with it. And you do want to be prepared, even if you're doing an open mic. Otherwise, you won't feel like you're good at it. Um, that's just kind of the general rule. And, um, you know, it's you really only find that out through experience. And that's the truth of everything, really. It's our experiences that teach us more than words. So go out there, face your fears, go out there, do open mics, go out there, be prepared, go out there, don't be prepared and just see if you can wing it. You know, I have tried it because I thought maybe, you know, it could be really spontaneous. And I am most funny when I'm like just in the moment with a person just being silly and stupid and saying stuff off the cuff that I think is funny in the moment. Um, But I found that on a stage with a room full of people or an audience at least, it, it doesn't seem to work that way and it can make you feel like you should never do it again but I'll just say like look if you're not prepared if you haven't taken some time to cultivate to write and to um, make your your set better um, it's something to work with it's this is an art this is a craft it's an art and a craft but it's not arts and crafts let's be clear here Comedy is an art and uh, it takes practice and, and, you know, once you learn how to play the piano, then you can go and do a show and use the piano as an instrument that it's designed to be to play the songs that you're prepared to play. And you can play around with the songs once you've got this, gotten the song sort of down, you know, once you are down is what I'm trying to say, then you can play, play around with it. And that's been my experience with comedy, too. So hopefully that answers some questions, you know. that's It's the question I get the most often is, like, how did you get into this? And, like, how long have you been doing this for? And the truth is that I haven't actually been doing it that long. It's only been um, a year and a half now. And it is growing and moving and taking off. And there has been... Uh, sacrifices that have come with it that I've needed to sacrifice time and effort and money and my own humility, you know, and my own ego and be willing to be seen um, in my vulnerability. And that's actually really appealing too. The good news is, is not only are you going into a place in in comedy of vulnerability um, and risking 
public humiliation, which sucks. Um, but the good news is that that vulnerability is encouraged. It's welcomed. It's embraced, you know, and, and the good news about these days with social media and the internet is that we're, we're all really desiring a more intimate connection, a more authentic connection. And we know it when we find it, right? You know it when you find it. You know when you find an authentic person and you're connecting with that place of authenticity within them. For one reason, you feel it in yourself. You're like, oh, good, I can relax in myself. I can feel more authentic in myself, right? And I'm hopeful, of course, that, you know, that you're feeling that with me and I don't know that I can control it any more than just to feel into my own vulnerability and be honest about it and clear, authentic and open about it. And then to realize and to also remind you that uh, there is a lot of payoff in that. There is tremendous, tremendous, tremendous payoff in that that's like way beyond the quick fix, the quick feel-good dopamine release of social media. It's like to really be connected, to really be seen, to really be embraced, to really be encouraged. It's like, it's such a great feeling. It's like, I think it's one of the best feelings. Um, And I would say it's like on the, the opposite of that stick talking about um, being outcasted by your community, it's the exact opposite feeling of that. So it's like you're risking it all in order to gain it all. And that's a pretty fun game to play, even if it's terrifying. I'm not going to tell you that it's not terrifying, Um, but it's a game of moving through, walking through, talking through, stepping through the great fear of social annihilation and on the other side, visualizing, anticipating, imagining, telling yourself that on the other side of that is being seen for who you are because you're talking about who you are and you're standing up there in your authenticity. Here's my body. Here's my face. Here's all of the things that I see as flaws in my body, in my face, my hair, you know, the things that I wish I could change but haven't been able to at this point. Here I am. And you're talking about these really authentic, vulnerable things, things that I would rather you not see, but here they are. All the things that I would love to hide on my Instagram feed, but here they are. Let's talk about the inner journey. Let's talk about the vulnerability of being limited by our humanness and how much we want to cover it up. And that's funny, you know. There's a lot of opportunity for us to be able to laugh at ourselves, you know, not to, like, laugh at um, in order to diminish a person or a group of people, but to just laugh at the universality of our human experience. And that's really what inspires me with comedy too, is just to offer that medicine of laughter, you know, at at our humanness. 
and our vulnerabilities and to be seen in all of that and to have people hug you and say thank you, hug you and say that was great, shake your hand, look you in the eye and and say, you know, and, and look at you with that from that place of seeing the courage that you have to do this in ways that most people will never even attempt to because it's too scary for them. Um, we need good reasons to move through our fears. We need really good reasons to take action in the face of fear. And so hopefully all that we've talked about today on the show has been some really good reasons, you know, has been some, has been some motivators, some, um, fuel for your fire to get out there and take some risks today or ongoing. And for some reason, I'm not even sure why, but I keep getting this impulse that I want to tell you something, um, literally not like, um, millennial, literally millennial, literally is like figuratively, but I'm going to say literally anyway, but literally yesterday, um, I saw a wild bear in Pasadena, California. And I'm pretty sure that sounds kind of unbelievable. It sounds kind of unbelievable to me. And like part of me wants to say it just to be like, oh my gosh, did that really happen? But I was by myself. Scary. Oh, okay, okay. I think I know what's coming up for me. I was literally by myself. I was using a porta potty. Fancy that. Fancy pants that. Um, using a porta potty. Yes, I squatted. I hovered, uh, and when I came out of the porta potty, there 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 was those um, like portable wa- hand washing things they have now. Thank God. And I was going over towards the portable hand washing sink thingamajigs, and um, there was like the slope down. I was outside in somebody's yard where they had a lot of land, and a slope down, and I saw this big brown animal just bolt across my visual peripheral vision. And I was like, that looked like a bear, but it must've been like a big dog, right? You're thinking there's no way that's going to be a bear. But instead of washing my hands, I'll tell you, I chose to go and have a look. So I didn't go down the slope, but I took some steps off to the side, like basically behind the porta potties. And uh, I saw a big bear. It was a big brown bear. And it wasn't like full size, you know, I'm no bear expert, but I would say it was like an adolescent, um, it was adolescent-ish for a bear and it wasn't super big and it was really cute and definitely a wild brown bear. And um, I stood relatively still and went through those thoughts in my mind of like, do I stay? Do I go? Should I go grab my camera? Should I take a selfie? Should I risk my life, you know, for the selfie? And I was like, no, no pictures. I'm not going to take pictures because I don't want to be one of those people that misses the opportunity of life and all of its magic happening right before you um, for other people's like, wow, you saw a bear. Um, And then I also thought, like, should I go get a friend? Should I go grab someone to be like, look, there's a bear so we could share the experience? I just decided to like really be present with the bear and really feel into its life force and be careful, (laughs) 
luckily it never looked at me. I was hoping that it would not look at me because um, then I thought we might have a problem. Um, I think I would have run towards all the other people, but now that I'm looking back on it, I probably should have gone into the porta potty and locked the door. So I'm going to go ahead and just switch gears here because I know we're running out of time. And just to say that I think the reason why the story of the brown bear keeps coming up in my awareness is because a lot of times when I'm working with people um, and talking in hypnotherapy and talking about our fears and how we're living in our, in the modern world, um, with short, shallow breaths and with all this cortisol and adrenaline running through our bodies with all of the pressures and demands of modern world and all of the information coming at us so quickly, we're overloaded and our bodies are responding, reacting in a state that is similar to being chased by a bear, by a bear, similar to the experience of being chased by a bear where our breath is short and shallow um, and we're getting the surge of energy that can feel good because it's adrenaline. Our adrenals are being stimulated by coffee and by the pressures of life um, to produce, to move, to keep going, to check off the, the to-do list. Um, but we get into places of things like adrenal fatigue and depression and anxiety. Um, so since most of us are not actually being chased by a bear, it's a good idea to sort of assess our own inner state now and then and be like, am I feeling flooded with adrenaline? Even if it feels exciting, it can also be, there's, there's um, tinges of stress in there, you know? And so just to notice our levels of stress and keep practicing our deep breathing, keep practicing the things that would bring us back to a greater state of homeostasis so that the adrenals can restore themselves and the body can find that place of rest and digest, which is um, sort of the opposite, or truly the opposite, really, of fight or flight, coming into rest and digest with the deepening of the breath, the deepening of the presence, okay? So I'm going to just wrap up here for the day. I want to also just tell you guys that our next show, um, our next our next week's show, we're going to have this really beautiful, brilliant woman I'm really excited about. Her name is Ambika Talwar, and she's a university professor. And the super cool thing that I really like about her is that um, while she's uh, a professor at a university, she's also an intuitive healer and does distance healing on things like grief and trauma um, and working on that subtler realm. So somehow she's been able to um, sort of channel the wisdom of healing energies, getting rid of pain, releasing grief, um, clearing blocks to love, um, while being in a very left brain world at the same time. So I'm super excited to be interviewing her. Her website is luminousfield.com. You can look her up. And um, she's going to be doing doing a workshop next Monday as well to remove creative blocks. Um, so you can look up more information there on her website. And we will look forward to continuing with you then, talking to you um, in a couple of weeks, Monday at noon, Pacific Standard Time. 
that's when the show airs. And hopefully we'll see you tonight at Poncho's in Manhattan Beach for some laughs and great food and drinks and beautiful people. Lots of love, everyone. Have a beautiful day. And let's decide right now that we're going to take a risk today, do something with some deep breaths, face that fear, and do it for the joy of it, and then really embrace ourselves and reward ourselves with lots of love and self-approval as a, as a, as a, as a reward. You know, we all need rewards, don't we? We need rewards. We need rewards, as my grandmother would say. We all need the rewards. All right. Bless you all. Have a beautiful day. Be kind to one another as Ellen would say, and have a blast. Talk to you soon. Lots of love. Bye-bye.